Amen. Amen. It's always amazing to me how the Lord works. And what he sets up without you having to set it up, right? I had not talked to the team about what songs. I, I never tell them the theme. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky to know the theme myself. And, uh, and yet, week after week, God puts together what he wants. And the theme of that last song is so much of what we're going to talk about this morning, about that first love. But I want to share something with you first. On the call, uh, we, do, we do this prayer call. For the first hundred days of this administration, we're doing a prayer call every night at 8.30. If you haven't been on yet, I want to really encourage you to be on. Uh, if you look on the back of your bulletins is the, the phone number and the access code right here on the back of the bulletins. I want to encourage you to get on. It's not a long call. It's about usually about a half an hour, 25 minutes. Um, but I want to encourage you to get on there. And what we specifically do is we pray for this nation. We pray for this administration. Now, we, we, know, we know based on what God had told us a year and a half ago, more than a year and a half ago now, that, that uh, he was bringing a shaking to this country, a good shaking, a shaking that brings about his plan. And he had, he had shown me uh, back in, in uh, I believe it was July or August of 2015, that Donald Trump was going to be our, our uh, um, um, I almost said pastor, <laughs> new, our president for eight years. And from that, God has a plan in that. And this is something that is really important to understand. Because, see, the bride plays a role in the turning of this country. The bride plays a role in the turning of the world. Not just this nation, not just our church, not just Delaware, not just the Newark area, but the entire world. The bride has to come together in unity. And not because they're so smart. Not because the bride knows what's going on. I'm not saying you know, some of us do, some, you know, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. It's coming together in unity to say, Father, we want your will. We want your will no matter what. We want your will to happen on earth as you've written it in your books in heaven. So as we pray nightly, starting at 8.30, as we pray nightly for this country, it's very important to come together in unity on that. And by the way, numbers in this case are important. Numbers, in, and I don't mean numbers necessarily just on this call. I'm talking about numbers all over the world where the bride is coming together to pray for the Father's will. Yeah, I've, I've shared with you so many times, it's, it, I could almost have one of you stand up here and share it, about Revelation 3.9, right? Yeah, all the laughs, there you go. About the readying of the bride. That at the end times, there will come a world revival that will literally ready the bride to receive, for the bridegroom to receive a bride. Readying the church to be ready to be taken by Jesus Christ. 
in what we call the, the rapture, the harpazo. That's what he is readying us for. We're not ready yet. Okay, if you look at Revelation 3.9, it says something specifically will happen before the bride is ready. And that is that the world, those who do not know Jesus Christ, the world will see the bride and the favor that God has on the bride. That, that comes from the world. Okay, right now, the church is disdained by the world. Okay, but what this comes from is the bride standing up. Standing up for what God wants us to stand up for. And it's really simple. You don't have to know in, you know, okay, well, was Donald Trump the right one or not? Okay, is this cabinet pick the right one or not? Is this over here what's going on, the, the travel ban, is that the right thing or not? See, we get so caught up in the particulars that we miss the picture. And the picture is you stand up and you say, Jesus, I want your will. It's real simple. I'm sure that all of us in here do not agree on different particulars. But we can all agree that we want the Father's will. That's what, that's what he wants. And that's what draws us together in unity. That's what draws the power, excuse me, the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work he wants. I want to share with you a vision I had last night on the call. And for those of you on the call, you, you heard a little bit of it, although I, I, don't need, I don't think I really mentioned it as a vision. As I was praying and praying for the cabinet picks, and praying for the different thing, you know, uh, uh, for Donald Trump and, and, and his staff, and praying for these things, I got this vision in my mind of a hurricane. And as a hurricane builds, what builds a hurricane? It builds as it goes over warm water. Okay, that's why... The, the hurricanes that come up through the Gulf are, are just really powerful, like what hit, you know, Katrina that hit New Orleans. Okay, because it comes over warm water and it builds up so much force and so much energy through that warm water. And he was giving me a, a visual picture of what was happening with the bride even right at that moment. See, in Genesis it talks about the Holy Spirit hovering, right? The Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. That wasn't the only time the Holy Spirit hovers. See, the Holy Spirit hovers and waits for the direction from the Father. The Holy Spirit is hovering right now. The Holy Spirit is hovering over this nation, waiting for the Father to direct. And the literal energy that is in being infused into the Holy Spirit to do this work is from the prayers of the bride. Think of the prayers of the bride as that warm water. And as the Holy Spirit hovers over the prayers of the bride, the faithful prayers of the bride, asking for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, it infuses this energy. What is that energy? We've been talking about it for weeks. It's faith. It infuses that faith into what the Father wants to do, and He says, go. And this vision that I saw was this swirling, massive, swirling 
I don't want to call it a hurricane, but that was the best way to describe it. It was, it was just this massive movement of air, this massive movement of cloud, which is a representation of the Holy Spirit. But then as the Father directed it, he would point and he would say, go. And then a portion of the Holy Spirit would fall on that area in, in this vision. A portion of the Holy Spirit would fall into that, that area wherever, wherever the Father sent what we were praying in agreement to, and it would fall to the earth. He would fall to the earth and he would take effect. Some of these effects we see immediately, some we don't. But it's the literal faith of the bride that pushes it forward. See, he's not doing this for himself. <laughs> he's doing this for the readying of the bride. And so it's important, it's critical to not get caught up in what you see in the rhetoric, in the warfare, in how Satan wants you to view what's going on. But rest assured, see what God's doing. And if you can't see it, that's okay. Say, we agree with you, Father. See, the Father has written a book about the United States. He's written a book and his plans for the United States. We just want to be in agreement with those plans. And I want to share something else exciting. I, I want to say, Alex might be able to correct me on this, but I, it might have been a week and a half ago that there was a prophecy given. I, I've shared with you before that the Lord has written me a couple letters, right? And it, it's kind of cool. He'll, he'll speak through Anissa. She'll write this thing down and not know what in the world she even said until, until she reads it because the Lord was speaking through her. Well, a prophecy about a week and a half ago was said, and, and, and in this prophecy, he, he mentioned some names, but then he said something significant. And this was over the United States. He said the seal has been broken. And at the time, I didn't understand what that meant. But, but for weeks now, we have been, well, for months, almost two years now, we've been praying for the Lord to do this work in the United States. So I kept asking the Lord, what, what does that mean? What does that mean the seal is broken? And yesterday he revealed to me what it was. As, as he was speaking and telling us that, that this seal was about the United States, he then spoke to my heart and he said, the seal is the book that I have written for this country. See, in the Bible, a seal seals a scroll. In this scroll, this particular scroll, is God's will for this country. That can't even be begun. That can't even be enacted upon or started until the seal is broken. You break a seal, just like in Revelation. I know the, the, the men's class is going through Revelation, and they're in chapter 4, where he begins to break the seals, right? Break the seals of these books. Rest assured, he's broken the seal of America's book. And he's about to read. 
And what he reads, he declares. What he declares is a verdict in his court. And what comes down in his court as a verdict then takes seed on the earth. But see, you have to understand you're part of this. Because your faith and your prayer fuels the very activity that brings him reading that scroll. Not that he can't do it without us. Please understand. It's that he won't do it without us. Because, see, it's, it's about us. It's about a preparation that he wants to do in us, right? So just trust him. Don't be afraid. Fear is a spirit. Fear is of the devil. Don't be afraid. Don't look at what you see and be confused. Just trust him. Just say, we want your will on earth as you've said it in heaven. Amen? Okay, that wasn't the, that was just like a prelude, like an extra. No extra charge for that. What I want to talk about this morning is kind of continuing what that last song talked about, and it really continues, uh, it continues the thought process of the series that we've been on. You know, we've been on this, this series about learning what this life really is about, right? This life is about uh, drawing close to Jesus Christ and the effect of that we see in the millennium, and we spent a long time on that. And then last week we talked about how we do that. You know, how we do that. We're in obedience to Jesus Christ, what? When we love. When we love each other. When we love him. Uh, it, the Bible says all of the commandments are wrapped up into those two, two, those two things. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. And then love each other as yourself. That's the obedience. That's how we begin that intimate relationship, that closeness with Jesus Christ. Right, but but I wanted to talk today because so many times, when we accept Jesus Christ, we get into a place where we're on fire for Him. Right, we're on fire for Him because we know this new relationship. But then over time, oftentimes what happens is our what we think of as reality kind of sets in. You know, the enemy is not one who is not strategic. He knows. See, he's a patient guy. He knows how to get into each one of our lives in subtle ways to begin to draw us away from that first love, away from what we wanted. But see, God is a change agent. There is hope. In going back to the first love. There is hope in being so in love with Jesus Christ. No matter where you are. No matter what sin you've been in. No matter what state of life you're in. If, if it's so crazy in your life. You don't even know how to hold on anymore. God is a change agent. And looking to him and allowing him to do it. He could bring real change in our lives. I want to show you a picture because I laughed when I saw it. <laughs> You'll laugh too. If you were to look at this, 
you know, there's all kinds of captions you can have for this. When I saw this, I looked at that and I thought, that is a metaphor for the Christian's life in many cases. We hold on to what we know, even though it has literally disintegrated around us. We just keep holding on. We keep holding on to what we know. Have you, have you ever found yourself clinging to something just because it's familiar? Just because you know it? Just because you feel it's safe? Just because you know how to operate in it? See, that's what that picture reminded me of. We can live our whole lives in a place where we don't recognize the fullness of God. Where we don't recognize the provision he has for us. Where we don't recognize the literal calling he has for us. We're so defensive-minded. But we're not supposed to be. Do you know the Christian has been given offensive weapons? We're not supposed to be on the defense all the time. We're not supposed to just hold on to what we know and keep our, keep our world just in this little myopic place where, okay, I, I can handle this. What does that really do for you? It's not doing a whole lot for him. He may be out of the water. He's not going to get what he needs, right? We're like that. We're like that in the Christian life where we just hold on to things that we know. Well, I know that I grew up going to church Sunday morning and, and you know, one day during the, for me it was Wednesday nights. Actually, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? I knew, that's what I knew. You go there, you're good. You go there, you, you pay your tithe, you know, you sing, and you have this little good feeling about yourself, and, and okay, I, I, I just, I'm feeling good in my little space. But then there's something in your heart that says, I want more. I know you offer more. You know, the, this, this past week, and, and this is such a, an amazing, amazing miracle, right? But Corey, if you guys don't know it, Corey had open-heart surgery a week and three days ago? Yes, ten days ago. He had open-heart surgery, and, and it wasn't an easy one. It wasn't where they could go around anything. They literally had to take his chest bone, break it completely down, and spread it apart. Ouch. <laughs> I'm sorry if it hurts for me to talk about it. Okay, that, that was just 10 days ago. And, and he said if they would have let him out on Saturday, he would have been here last Sunday. Because he was here on Tuesday, and if you didn't get a chance to listen, if you weren't here on Tuesday to hear his testimony, I want to encourage you to go on Lindsay or Anissa's Facebook page, because I believe it's on there, right? Okay, and, and he shared it as well. It's an awesome testimony. But see, there came a point where he wanted more. 
Now he shared in his testimony, he's been saved for 20 years. See, that happens so often where we get saved and we get excited about something. But then Satan, being the ultimate strategist, he knows how to draw us away. I I tell young people all the time, one of the biggest ways he's going to draw you away is work. The thought that you need to do this because you need something. But he does that in all of us. Satan knows the buttons to press. He puts us in positions or leads us into positions where we think we need something and we have to control something more than we allow God to control that. That happens all the time. It happened in my life when I was a freshman in college. That was the turning point in my life from wanting what God had for my life to wanting to control my life. It happened through, through a, a really difficult circumstance. And I've shared it before. But the point was, he directed me in such a way, he manipulated me in such a way that I wanted to gain control. Because it felt out of control. You ever feel when God's doing something in your life, That it feels out of control? Yeah. Don't assume that that's a bad thing. And that was one of the things I had to learn. A relationship with God is probably more times than not out of control. Out of your control. (laughs) Doesn't mean it's not in his control. Because it's fully in his control. But see, because we get into this world that we understand and we know how to operate in, and yeah, it's, it's not what we like because there's so many things about it we don't like, but we just stay and we operate because we know how. And it doesn't mean that these are bad things. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even talking about sin. Sin is an obvious one. I'm talking about things that, that are good things. You can do this in ministry. Pastors do it all the time, where they get so caught up in the doing, they miss the knowing. And if you don't keep it the knowing, if you don't keep on the forefront that, that advancement of your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're going to find yourself in that world where you could control it to a certain extent, but everything around you disintegrates. And eventually, it's going to put you in the water too. Just like that bear. Eventually, what was under him was not going to be able to sustain him anymore. And he was going to be in the water. See, sometimes God just wants us in the water. And sometimes he puts us in places where he facilitates that. I want to tell you, though, how how he does some of this. See, when we desire a change, remember I said God is a change agent. When we desire change, what do we do? You could look at what's going bad in your life, and you could go and try and make the changes yourself. And, And by the way, you could do that. There are only about 
a zillion self-help books out there that you can use to accomplish that. And by the way, it works. And, and I can, I can say, that, say that from, from a, a laughing history of probably buying most of those. I remember Alex and I, when, when we were early in business, you know, we'd see some infomercial about, well, you know, this, this motivational thing will change your life and it'll teach you how to do this and you'll do this and blah, 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 you'll have this big, great business. Awesome, it's only $89.99. We'll take two. I don't want to have to study it with her. She can make her own notes. Right? And we, and we, and we look at that as the answer because, because, wow, it sure looks like the answer. They, they look like they got it together. Of course, it, it, why don't we realize that that's a commercial? And, you know, they formed it that way, Right? Okay, but we, but we see that as the possibility, and, and, you know, those certainly make sense. And by the way, oftentimes, they're really good points. You know, be disciplined. That's not a bad point. That's a good point. That's a godly point. I didn't get it with those, and I still don't get it now. <laughs> that, that will be a striving for the rest of my life, that, that discipline. Don't call me at five in the morning. I'm not getting up to work out. Well, I shouldn't say that, should I? Never say never, right? Okay. <laughs> Maybe seven in the morning. How's that? But see, with, with these, when we desire real change, though, that change is in the heart. That change isn't what you, you change your circumstances. Anytime you just change your circumstances, sure, you're going you're gonna to accomplish change. But it's temporary because that's not the real problem. The real problem is he wants to direct our life. He wants to guide our life. He wants to do it. Did you hear me? He wants to do it. So that's really the rub. Even though we may not realize that, we come to church and we worship him and we, we, we say, yes, Lord, we want you to take control. Oh, well, not that. <laughs> I, I didn't mean everything. I just meant the things, you know, this stuff dis- disintegrating around me. Take control of that because I've got this part myself. And he's saying, you don't understand. I'm disintegrating the, the rest to give you time to see that what is under you is about to disintegrate. So he said, you've got to look for me. You've got to have that hunger back in your life for relationship. Not, not, Not just acceptance in a church, not just unity in a family. That's part of it. But it's way more personal than that. You could go through changes in your life, and if, if that change isn't because of relationship with Jesus Christ, you're just going to be going on the same cycle you've been on for years. See, when we change, the change has to begin in the heart. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, to set this up, this, we're not going to read a lot in here, but I wanted, to, I wanted to point this out. This is where Samuel was looking for a, for a king. Israel wanted a king. They had to have a king. Apparently God wasn't good enough for them. They had to have an earthly king. 
Someone who would literally tell them what to do. I don't, I, I don't know about you. That, that, when you read that, you know, Samuel said, wait a second, you want a king? It, you realize the king's going to tell you what to do. He's going to take money from you. He's going to do all these bad things, and yet you want a king. Yes, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. It was, it was like little kid nations. I want to be like the other kid. We want to be a real nation, right? I want to be a real boy. But that's what they wanted. So Samuel's like, okay, okay. And and you could just sense his frustration over Israel wanting a king. But the Lord said, okay, we'll give him a king, right? And and the first first king that they wanted didn't work out so well. Okay, but God goes to anoint the king he wants and the plan he wants. And and Samuel, even Samuel, as godly as Samuel is, Samuel made one of the most basic mistakes that a Christian makes. He goes in and and these these sons of uh, Jesse are lined up in front of him and he's looking at what they look like. Well, certainly this is the one. This is the oldest son, tallest, good-looking, everything, you know, everything's right about this one. What's the Lord say? No, that's not him. Okay, well, maybe it's this one. And he goes on down the line, and it was none of them. He gave Samuel one of the best pieces of advice that we need to take into our lives right now. And that is verse 7. But the, in this uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's where your journey has to begin. If you want Jesus Christ, all the things we talked about in the last series, right? all the rewards that, that he has waiting for you that are, that are in your capability through faith to earn while you're here, if you want that intimacy with him, it's got to start here. It's got to start in your heart. I am absolutely convinced that the reason God brought me full circle around and to back to, to the calling into the ministry was because of where my heart was when I was a kid. Where my heart was when I was a young man. See, when, when I was a little kid, and I, I think I've told this story, but when I was a little kid, all my friends want to be policeman, fireman, superhero, you know, superman, whatever. I wanted to be a preacher. I remember preaching to my grandmother and my dog, because they're the only ones that would listen to me. I, I, I think I was about five years old, something like that. That's all I wanted. And growing up, then it, then it morphed because I had to be cool. Okay, now I can't be a normal preacher. I'm going to be a trucking preacher, because I really loved truck drivers. I thought that was the coolest job in the world, to be a truck driver, drive a big truck, sleep in the back of the truck. 
So, okay, so now, Lord, what I want to do is I want to have a, a big truck and a big back, and I'll, j- I'll just drive all over the country, and I'll just preach in the back of the truck. Yeah, you could probably fit 70, 80 people in there. Not sure I'd, how I'd get the air conditioning, but we'd, we'd work that out, right? So that's what I wanted to do. Then I got a little older and realized, you know, as I started driving, how really terrible it is to drive when you're tired. <laughs> Okay, then it changed again. But see, it never went away from desiring the Lord. When, when I was in high school, now I grew up legalistic, but uh, in, in the school that I was in, very legalistic. It wasn't that way at home, but in the school I was in, very legalistic. And, and even in that setting, you know, I, I, I went and I knocked on doors every Saturday. I knocked on doors to tell people about Jesus Christ because I loved the Lord. Now, I didn't tell him the right thing. <laughs> Open the door. Hi, you saved? Okay, you're going to hell. Yeah, that's probably not the best way to approach knocking on a door. But the point was my heart was there. My heart wanted him. My heart wanted relationship with him. So when I hit that problem in my life my freshman year where everything changed, everything disintegrated around me, Instead of just trusting him, because I didn't know how to do that, instead of trusting him, I just held on to what I had. And then I put more controls on what I had. At that point, I thought, okay, fine. I know I can control business. I don't even want to work for somebody else, because then they control me. If I'm an entrepreneur, I could control what I do. And then I fell into the same trap that so many do. And that is, well, if you own your own business, you can plan your own schedule. Wrong. Didn't work out that way. See, that was the, and and I'm not saying being in business is wrong. Please understand. I'm saying that this was the trap that Satan had set for me. He had set for me a trap that would allow me to control my surroundings, to grab hold of my space and be able to control what I did. My case, and I've shared this with you before, took 25 years for him to get my attention with what was real. But it started with the cry of my heart. So about five years ago, In my heart, I knew there was something more. I knew there was something more to this relationship. So that cry out came from my heart. And that's where the real change begun. And boy, (laughs) when you pray and you say, Lord, I want your will. I love you and I trust you. And I want you to do in my life what you want. I want to relinquish as much as I can. I want to relinquish the, the controls that I've placed on my life. Going back to that picture of the bear, I, I, I just want to dive in. I want, I want to release what I'm controlling and I want to just dive in and then trust you. You're in for a ride. You're in for the most wonderful ride of your life. But I promise you, you're in for the scariest, the sometimes confusing, 
sometimes looks completely opposite of what you thought it would look like. But when you say in your heart, I want your will, he does it. He works it. And he begins to bring change. Now we have to trust him in what he's doing. And one thing I can tell you from experience, and and there are many, many examples in the word of God. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, I could guarantee you one thing. And this was one of the first things I always taught the young people. And they'll laugh, they'll smile when I say this. He's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Immediately. That's the first thing he's going to do. Why? Because in our comfort zone, we have our controls in place. That's where we have our hands wrapped around what we have. That's our comfort zone. That's why they call it that. We're comfortable in that place. See, but when our heart cries out to Jesus and says, Lord, I want change. I want to be passionate again. I want back my first love. I want to be so in love with you. And our heart's crying out this. What happens? He says, okay, I've got to take you out of this place of control. I've got to put you in a place where you can't control it anymore. And, and by the way, you're not going to want to be there. And that's okay. It's, it's difficult. It hurts. It, it's scary. You know, I, I think Peter, as a matter of fact, who all he wants to do is be in the ministry. Very, very much like I was. All he wants to do is be in the ministry and work in the ministry and pour his heart out for God. So you would think, well, of course, then God will put him in the ministry. But he hasn't. See, God had to take him out of his comfort zone first. He couldn't replace one comfort zone with another. Because if he were immediately put into a place where all his needs were met, then he could create a new comfort zone. He had to be placed in a place where he had to trust God. And that's exactly what God has done. God has put him in a place, one, where he has a ministry at his work, but a place where he can't control this anymore. As a matter of fact, he's got to be on his knees all the time, trusting, Lord, you said, you said you've given me this to do, so you'll provide. And he could share with you for hours what God has done there. It's not a comfortable place. Don't assume when he puts you in that place and you're not, you're not comfortable with it, that that's not his will. Well, this can't be his will because I'm not happy. Happy's got nothing to do with it. Happy's very different than joy. I can attest to this. He'll put you in places where you're uncomfortable and the happiness may not be there. Do you think Paul was happy when he was shipwrecked? Do you think Paul was happy when he was beaten and jailed? No, but did he have joy? Yes. You know, isn't it funny that happiness isn't one of the fruits of the Spirit? <laughs> Never says, I, I promise you'll be happy. Promise you'll have joy. And joy is so much more filling 
than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness depends on the lens you have on. You can take that joy, however, and you can look at that through that lens and be happy. That's why, that's why when, when some of these people that go through horrendous things, that's why they can, they can smile through it. They can laugh through it. It's because they have joy in it. But rest assured, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, I want this, this intimacy in my relationship with you, he's going to take you on a road that is unfamiliar. He'll put you in territory that you're not familiar with, that you don't know what to do with. And I, I just want to tell one more point on this. It's important to understand that when he puts you on this road, you've got to stay on the road. Because oftentimes, things get tough. We know we're supposed to be on a road. Things get tough and we veer off. Back to that control again. Back to what we know. That's why God told me, coming up on, is it two years? No, coming up on three years now, when he told me in May of 2014 to close the business, and he didn't leave it there, because he knew me. <laughs> he said, I want you to sell all your equipment, too. Because he didn't want me to go back to it. Because it'd be too easy. See, when it got tough, and we just we needed to make mortgage, or we needed to, to do this or do that, cars breaking down, whatever, it would be too easy to go out and say, you know what, just, just take me four or five days, let me get a job, I'll make enough for this month. See, that was too easy. But that was my control space. The last thing God wanted me to do was go back to that control space. And I can tell you, you can ask Alexis, this is something I determined at the beginning I wouldn't do, and I haven't. I haven't gone back to those places, to, and, and I've been offered plenty to just do this quick little job and, and make enough that cover the whole month. But I've determined I don't want that comfort zone because I know where that comfort zone leads. It leads to my control. It leads to not having that closeness with Jesus Christ, that intimate relationship with him. And that's more important to me. And besides, you promised, Lord. I can't tell you how many times I have said that to him. And Alexis can attest to this. How in the world are we going to make our mortgage this month? I don't know. It's on his shoulders. If we fail, it's not my failure. And I won't let it be my failure by trying to take control of it. See, 2 Corinthians 9.8 promises, but my God shall... But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I use that all the time. I repeat it back to him when I don't know how we're going to get something. You said, God, you said you would provide this. You promised that you would give me everything I needed, and that includes food on the table for my family. That includes a roof over our head. That includes a car that actually works, that we can do the job that you've given us to do. And man, I could, I could, I could just 
tell you story after story after story of how he provided. I get a text one morning, and, and the text said, the Lord told me last night I need to send you a check. I didn't even recognize the number. It wasn't in my phone or anything, and I just text back, and I said, I, I know this, this sounds kind of forward, but how much did he tell you to send me? <laughs> and they sent exactly enough for us to make our mortgage and another bill that we had. That was early on. That was maybe four or five months into this process. And, and it was from the faith that that built that God then begins to build in us the faith to move forward to bigger things. When you start this journey and he puts you in a place that's uncomfortable and you have to learn to trust him there, believe me, it is not to stay there. It will never be to stay there because a relationship with Jesus Christ is always moving one direction or another. You know, like Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. That's the same, same with the relationship with him. You are either moving forward or you are moving backward. There's no stagnant place. Don't let the enemy fool you. A stagnant place is moving backward. There is no forward momentum without saying, Lord, I want you, I love you, I give you complete control, and I know you've put me in this new place, this unfamiliar place, way out of my comfort zone, but I trust you. Why? Because you did it. You put me here and I trust you. And then he provides. Oh, wow, okay, that just built my faith. And then he does it again. And Okay, that built my faith. He starts putting these bricks together on a wall that build up this wall of faith. If you could picture that, it's not something that he just tosses us a little bit of faith when we need it. First of all, faith isn't faith on our part. He gives us a gift of faith, but he will never exercise faith for us. We have to exercise the faith. But each, each time we do, it's not starting all over again every time. When you trust him in your life, it puts brick upon brick upon brick upon brick. See, we're to the point now, after almost three years, where God has provided so many ridiculous ways. And, and I'll, even, I'll even focus financially here for a second. Okay, he built this faith in me for a reason. Why? Because we're facing getting a building right now that really makes no sense. But it's what God is giving us. He tells us to give an offer of $10 million. No, it's not in there. Certainly not in my account. If anybody in here has that kind of money, you hide it really well. Okay, but yet he's given us that. He's told us, even in the spirit realm, it is already declared in the courts of heaven that is ours. Okay, but then there's that whole paying for it part. See, he needed me to have my faith built up to the point where that did not rock me. And it doesn't. I go to my mailbox every day thinking, the check will be there today. 
And it will be. When he is ready for it, it will be. It's not the amount that's the critical issue. It's the fact that I trust what he said. He said, if I give you something to do, I will give you everything you need to do it with. If he is giving us a building, unless they give it to us for free, I mean, they can do that too. But if he's giving us a building, he's going to give us the money to to buy it. And by the way, I'll I'll, I'll share this note with you. Um, Because I think I told you last time, we had put an offer in on the building and, and hadn't heard anything from them you know, for three weeks. And then I, I get this email saying, well, we're not interested in selling at this time. Okay, which is kind of the same scenario he's been sitting with for so long. So that was maybe, I don't know, a week, week and a half ago or whatever. And, and, and we were praying and talking with the Lord uh, a few days ago. And the Lord said, I want you to call him again. The owner, uh, frankly, the owner of, of the building. I want you to call him, and he didn't say what to say. That's okay. He said, I'll, I'll give you the words. So he, he had told Colin to call him. So he did, left a message. Frankie called back the next day, and he said that, uh, you know, it, it, my dad said, well, we were wondering if you had reconsidered. Okay, it had only been a few days since we got the email. Right? Well, what we learned on that call was what was stopping them wasn't the interest in selling the building. It was that from their eyes, they didn't see that we were viable in buying the building. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. See, he said, I don't see any evidence that you guys could get a loan for $10 million from the bank. And he is correct. (laughs) He is absolutely correct in that. But you know, that's not, that was never our plan. That's never how God was going to do it, to give us a loan. And and so that we left the status of the call there. But what it did in my heart, it showed me, God, you are at work. See, because it's a whole lot harder to change a heart in man than it is to provide $10 million. And I say this out loud right now as a declaration because it will be a testimony to you. It will be a testimony that you can share. But see, that's how God works when we step out with him and he takes us to a, a, an unfamiliar place out of our comfort zone and teaches us faith. The faith are bricks that build upon each other. And that's what he wants. But you know, there comes a time in that walk, and you'll face this many times, where you hit opposition that doesn't make sense. You know it's the enemy. But wait a second, God. You wanted this to happen, and yet I find myself here. I know it's the enemy, but why don't you lock him down and not let him do this to me? And it's, again, in how we see a situation. How we trust in a situation. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this to give you a a taste 
And this, this is my last point here, but a taste of what's going on. This is Paul and Silas. They're on, on one of his missionary journeys. They've been um, walking through the streets, you know, preaching in the synagogue and everything else. And they had this girl that just kept following them. And this girl was possessed by a spirit. And this girl just kept following them saying, these are the men that follow the Lord. You know, it didn't say anything bad. You could just tell Paul was getting annoyed, right? Okay, so that, that's kind of the background of what's going on. Let's start at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. In other words, she could see. And, and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> I can't wait to meet Paul. <laughs> Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hopes of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate custom, they, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Which, by the way, is baloney. What they're saying is, they stole my money. They took my way. Of, we, we had this golden goose, and she no longer lays, lays eggs. So, they took my money away from me. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. Okay, this isn't a verbal thing. It says it right here. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. See, this was a mob. I want you to understand, mobs that we've seen on TV and stuff, that's nothing compared to what happens in third world countries. I saw a video just this last week of a Muslim lady. Okay, she, she's Muslim. She's not even Christian. She's Muslim. And she was in Pakistan. And she was... She was in the, uh, the t um, what do they call their temples? Uh, mosque. She was in the mosque, and she was a worker in the mosque. And she was taking out the trash and burning the trash. Well, one of the guys walking by or whatever, one of the people around there, happened to notice there were parts of a Quran in the trash. And what they immediately said was, she was burning the Quran. She was doing it on purpose. And all of a sudden, this, these few people became masses of hundreds of people. The lady didn't have a chance. She was beaten. She was torn apart and she was burned. All because of this mob mentality. That's what's going on here. This mob went after Paul and Silas. And then the magistrates took them, otherwise the mob probably would have torn them apart and killed them, took them, beat them, threw them into jail. 
Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. He received this order. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You can imagine them all bloody and in pain and then thrown into stocks. I don't know if you've ever seen stocks. I, I, when, I, when we went over to Europe years ago, we, we went into this, this dungeon that had stocks. Okay, it's, it's not a comfortable thing. It's not like they can sit there and just, just get comfort for their wounds. They're thrown into these stocks. So, so they take what is already uncomfortable and it's made worse. I want you to understand something, though. This was not their plan. This was not their plan. Do you think if Paul would have known that he might have changed and maybe let that girl just said it? Just, yeah, just go ahead. I, I don't need the aggravation of getting beaten. See, but God didn't show him that part. So you can imagine Paul and Silas, they're like, why, Father, why are we in this prison? We're, as a matter of fact, we're in the dead center of the prison, so we can't even minister to the prison. We're locked away in these stocks. And why would you do this, Lord? We were preaching to the temple. We were, we were telling hundreds of people. And now you pull us away and you place us here. And oftentimes we think, oh, that was Satan. That was Satan that did that. And sometimes it could be, but I don't believe it was in this case. And we'll, we'll read on and I'll explain why. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? <laughs> Praying and singing hymns to God. Can you imagine the pain they were in? And yet they're praying and singing praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds unfastened. Not just theirs, all the prisoners. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He probably figured, I'll do it before they do it to me because the, the jailer's bosses would have done that. But Paul, Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Do you see God had a plan? God had an ultimate goal, and that goal wasn't keeping Paul and Silas comfortable. Do you think that God could have reached this jailer some other way? Yeah. Probably could have. I mean, for that matter, God could have done what he did with Paul. He could have just shown up said, I am Jesus, stop treating me the way you're treating me. But see, he, he had a plan, and that plan wasn't about the jailer. It was about Paul and Silas. It was about them trusting him, taking them from their comfort zone, putting them into a place of literal 
peril. And just saying, trust me. I got this. Trust me. Do you not think that I can fix everything? Trust me. And he did, and he revealed what the real purpose was. Because they were faithful to him. They added another block to their faith wall because they trusted him. That's what he wants from us. When we say we want you and we begin to move forward in the direction he wants and we hit this place that's, wow, this is, this is not only unfamiliar, this is, this is just downright different. I don't know how to operate in this. This is scary. What do you do? You praise. You worship. You sing. You declare to the heavens that Almighty God is who is in charge of your life and not the enemy. See, that takes all the wind out of the sails of the enemy. The enemy was hoping that they'd grumble. The enemy was hoping that they would just say, Lord, I don't understand this. Why? The enemy was hoping they would be a Jonah at the beginning. But they weren't. They weren't. They praised. They worshipped. They gave glory to God and they added another brick to the wall and God blessed them for it. And as, as you read on with their lives, this happened over and over and over again with Paul. See, don't look at the Christian life like, well, well at some point it's, it's just going to be utopia. I've I got to fight through this and, and then it'll all be good. If, if, if you can show me in Scripture where it says that, I would love to see it. And this is where I think so many of those pastors go wrong with certainly the health and wealth gospel, but, but that God promises this to you, God promises that to you. He does. Okay, but you have to understand his plan, his timing is different than ours. And what is your goal? Is your goal comfort? Or is your goal intimacy? Because if your goal is intimacy with him and closeness with him, I guarantee you, you're going to have trouble. But that trouble is temporary. That trouble is to add another brick to your faith wall. That trouble is to literally prepare you for what we talked about for nine weeks. And that is receiving the very rewards that he places at our feet. At the beam of seat of Christ. See, that is the real world that we live for. Paul said, to die is Christ. Right? When I die, I have Jesus Christ. You can't threaten me with death. You can't threaten me with anything of this world. Because the world with Jesus Christ, when we're with him, that was what was most important to Paul. That has to be our paradigm as well, the most important thing to us. So when you want change in your life and you go to God because he is a change agent, just know that real change has to come from your heart.
And when you say, Lord, I want you, period, and you find yourself in an uncomfortable place that he took you, don't fear. Trust. Realize that you're building a wall. You're building this faith wall. You're building this this part of your life that can look at the word of God and say, that applies to me and I trust him. And I can tell you that will get you through everything in this life. I'd venture to say that most of us, if not all of us, will never face what Paul and Silas faced in this place. But it doesn't mean that the things we do face are any less real, any less difficult in our lives. So we have to have the same reaction. Just praise him. Just trust him through it. And he will get you to that intimacy. He will get you to where he wants you to be. Let's bow our heads. Father, we worship you, we thank you, we praise you, Lord, for who you are. And God, you, you have had us on this journey, this journey of understanding you and realizing what relationship with you is all about. God, we want you. We want you. We want your will in our lives. We want your will in this church. I declare that out loud. We want your will for this church on earth as you have written it in heaven. But Father, I I pray that same prayer will be prayed from each individual in here. That they just want you. And that they're willing to go on this journey that may take them into unfamiliar territory. May take them into territory they're they're not sure how to react to or perhaps even even have to trust you because it's it's just scary. It's out out of their comfort zone. But God, prove yourself faithful. As we step for you, just as Moses stepped into the Red Sea, it hadn't parted until he stepped. But yet he had faith that it would part. Why? Because you told him it would. Help our relationships to really become that simple. You said it. I believe it. You said it, we believe it. Lord, we love you so much and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look at our bulletins, um, I do want to encourage you that no matter what, um, you know, sometimes when we hear... um, the benefits of following the Lord sound perhaps, you know, if, if, you, if you have a fear lens, perhaps all you heard was, okay, I'm going to get trouble. But remember, the fruits of the Spirit are accompanied with even the darkest times. So really there isn't any bad payoff. There's, not, there's, no, there's nothing that you have to fear in even the worst of your trials. I was picturing the different parts of our lives flashing before me as he was talking about that, and I thought, you know, even in all the uncomfortable territory, there's a constant promise we never have to wait for, and that is the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace. 
So it's not like in that dark time or in that time when you're out of the comfort zone, you have to wait on those things. Those are always present with you. Because I remember hearing a message like this a long time ago, thinking, okay, well, if it's just going to be tough, then I got my answer. I don't want it to be tough. I mean, that's just the reality. I don't, I don't want it to be tough. And I've actually heard people say that to me, that if it's going to be tough, then why would anybody want it? And it's because, you know, I don't know about you, but I have met people that um, uh, are wealthy, have uh, position, have uh, levels of power, have amazing opportunities, wonderful things, who have no peace and rest within their soul. Um, there's a strained love relationship. If you've ever, you know, imagined whatever would please you in, our, in your circumstances or materially, and then you get it, and you're like, man, I thought it feel better than this. I thought it would just be better than this. There's nothing like an inward fulfillment. And I love in Psalm 103 when God, the Lord tells us that he satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth can be renewed like the eagles. That's what you get even through the trials. So don't ever think of it as just a, um, you know, something that, okay, well, it's just going to be bad for a while until it gets good. Even when it's bad, um, you know, we're, we're promised all spiritual blessings, Ephesians tells us. And, um, and the metaphoric wall, too, by the way, this is the other thing, because he, he tells me all the time, please tell me what the Lord told you during the, the service, because even today I said, no, we're leaving immediately after service, and I said, uh, said I think I'll just not, not do announcements. No, because if the Lord tells you something, you need to come up, you need to say it. So this was the only other thing that the Lord showed me, is the, the wall, the metaphoric wall that he used, the wall he's speaking of takes you higher. If you don't build that kind of wall, you will build the wall that keeps you walled off from God. Yeah. So there are two different kinds of walls. You can have a wall that keeps you from God or the wall that takes you higher. And um, to me, one of the most significant things that he said, which I know someone was struggling with recently that spoke to me about this, is feeling like Every time that they go through a valley or go through a time when they've reverted back to controlling their life, that now they're so far behind, why even try? No. When you have those blocks of faith, they stay there. And then when you come back and you, you recognize that it's not worth trying to control your circumstances, you, you can build from there. And you, you can build upon what you've had before. And uh, Satan would always have us say, what's the point? What's the use? Why even try? You know, kind of like that, that thing with our diets. Oh, why even, you know, I've, I've already eaten. I, I had a taste of a cookie. Let's just order several pieces, you know, and top it off with cheesecake. You know, that kind, of a, that kind of mentality that like, no, that wasn't bad. That taste wasn't bad. But, but you know, he comes in and says, let's just go overboard. And, well, that's what happens in our Christian life. It's like, well, let's just, let's just throw our whole life away. You know, you already had one sin. That's the lie from the pit of hell. So we need to really recognize that God is there to restore and renew all the time. And we can build upon that every time. You must have been able to relate to that little uh, example there. I know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so uh, we're, we're thinking about a lot of things perhaps for our bellies today. So be careful.